And now for a word from our sponsors. Are you fed up with hearing about the modern data stack only to realize that what it really means is buy these half dozen expensive tools and install them all just to get the data you need? You need right data. We combine the tools you need to turn raw data into trusted data for your business users, all in a single, modular, no-code platform. Easily do batch or streaming ingest, transform data, and build and orchestrate pipelines in our Data Factory Data Engineering module. The tools essential to delivering high-quality, reliable data through data observability, profiling, and ML-powered business rule generation are all in our Data Trust module. And to make it easy for users to find and take action on all that trusted data. Data Market is the next-gen catalog that makes it easy for users to find data products, to request access, and to start using the data through APIs, connectors, or even generative AI-powered data analytics. Get a free trial and learn why companies like Walmart, Johnson & Johnson, and General Electric chose right data for their data teams and how you can cut your data stack costs by 50% at GetRightData.com. A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mont. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Episode 262, Setting the Groundwork to Becoming Data-Driven. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Corinne Shlomo-Goldenberg, who's a senior product manager of the data platform at Big Panda. It's important to note that Big Panda is not at the stage yet where data mesh makes sense, but this is a story of getting that idea of production of data into the heads and hearts of the application development team, which is a crucial aspect to doing data mesh well, whether it's done pre-data mesh or as part of the journey. So here are some key takeaways or thoughts from Corinne's point of view. 
Number one, when doing data work, it's easy to fall into the trap of trying to do everything. Go back to the basics. Start from the why. Why are you doing this? If not, we are just creating new forms of data swamps. Number two, it's not uncommon for developers to think of data simply as what's in the database, especially in B2B startups. Sometimes you have to work with them to get them to really understand they need to be creating and storing data to be leveraged for analytics. It's, it's not even data exhaust. Sometimes the data doesn't even exist. Number three, related, many B2B companies feel they aren't data-oriented enough. You can work to change that, of course, but know that almost everyone else feels the same, that they aren't data-oriented enough. We all start our data journey somewhere. Get inspired to go forward. You don't have to worry about, you know, <laughs> how far behind you already are. Everybody else is kind of in that same boat. Number four, it's hard to pinpoint the time for a growing B2B company when it's actually time to start collecting and analyzing a lot of their data versus when it would be overkill or too early. You know, personal note, for larger organizations, look to have the conversation early in the life cycle of any product. Build a data sourcing strategy, even if it's not implemented from day one, but build that data sourcing strategy early. What data are you going to want and why and how are you building the product to be able to collect that? Number five, obviously doing data work isn't free. Make sure you have the conversation about when to flip the switch. It's often driven by someone wanting a report or information. Prepare ahead of that. Number six, an indicator you need to be preparing more data is when the product managers are struggling to answer basic questions. Again, it's that like how many type questions that shouldn't be hard to know that it is, but that's when you really are like, okay, I have to go and, and make a big change here. Number seven, potentially controversial, when getting started with development teams, even understanding data work, it's far easier to have that data work centralized in a data team. You can decentralize over time, but in introducing them to the idea of data work and a data platform in general, while trying to hand over you know, that data ownership might be too much. Personal note, this probably isn't really controversial as much as an inconvenient truth. You can't just throw absolutely everything on their plate in, in one fell swoop. Number eight, prioritization is key. Not just what, what you work on, but what is the incremental value of different aspects of work? Look to make sure you can justify what work you are do, doing. You know, again, product, circle back to the why. Number nine, ownership isn't just about who owns the work, but who owns the outcomes. Focusing on the work over the target outcome is not likely to end very well. Number 10, similarly, ownership isn't always black and white. While a team owns their domain, a central team will often own the data related to the domain. That's a lot of the, the starting situation for many, many organizations before doing data mesh. You know, but partnership in general, partnership is crucial. Teamwork makes the dream work. Right? Again, I've talked about this in, in the past. Centralization isn't the enemy. Centralization, when it's a bottleneck, becomes the enemy, but it's because it's become a bottleneck. Centralization in and of itself is not a bad thing. And finally, number 11, good product management practices. Just building something won't automatically create usage. 
talk to your constituents and help them understand what you've built and why to drive more usage. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Corinne Shlomo Goldenberg here, who's the senior product manager of the data platform at Big Panda. And what we're actually going to be talking about is not like super, super specific to data mesh, but I think it's really important to understand kind of where you are and how do you get yourself, how do you start to set yourself up so that you could do data mesh in the future when it makes sense, but also to say, hey, I don't need to do the, the latest fad. I don't need to chase the shiny. You know, I'm trying to push back on some people about generative AI and the same thing of like, we don't need to always do the shiny. We don't need to always chase everything. And so we're going to be talking about that and like, how do you get, how do you get your teams to even start to understand what information they need to generate to be able to leverage for people with data rather than just, oh, I just do the only operational systems. Like, how do you, how do you start to up their capabilities of understanding around data as, as well as just Big Panda's journey as well? So, uh, but before we get into that, uh, Corinne, if you don't mind, if you could give people a bit of an introduction to yourself, and then we can jump into that conversation at hand. Sure. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Scott. So I'm a product manager. Um, I've been in the tech industry for about 15 years, uh, six out of those in product management. I'm very curious, and I've worked in various industries. Now I'm in IT ops, but before that I was doing marketing technology, I was in healthcare, I was doing, I was in broadcasting for a while. And in my current role, I'm a um, product manager of the data platform, as you said. Um, actually founded the data group in Big Panda. So we'll talk about that journey because I think it's very interesting uh, for a company of that size to uh, to start that journey. And uh, we had we had a really good time. Uh, we're having a good time actually. Um, and we actually we complete. I feel like we completely transformed the way that we look at data in the company, the way we look at data, and the way we analyze data. Um, because we started, uh, people started thinking about KPIs a lot more and we started, um, um, we'll, we'll talk about that more, but, um, I, I do think that it's a very, very interesting journey of, uh, everything that we did. Uh, we actually started with, uh, supporting a new, uh, business model. That's how we started. And I'll talk about that. Uh, and we're now in a, in a very different place a year and a half afterward. Well, and I think it's, it. When we talked in the pre-call, there was something that that this has come up a lot where there's a lot of companies who are really focused on displaying information, displaying data to their customers that aren't as like really focused on doing like the right exact things for their data internally, right? About like how do we analyze what's actually going on with ourselves? And that's that's becoming a really, really common um uh, theme when I'm talking to a lot of companies about like, hey, we have to get people up to the the understanding of the data isn't just something that we display to others. We need to 
use it to to make better decisions about ourselves. It's not just we can't just be going off of what we're thinking and what what we we think we're seeing. We need to you know, I kind of trust but validate uh, with data. It's a tr- trust your your instincts, but also validate that with data. So I, yeah, I'd love to hear kind of your journey of coming in and and what that kind of looked like early on and how, like you said, like the, your first use case was, hey, let's let's get better at our business model. Let's really focus on what we want to do here. So I'd love to hear kind of that story as as you came in. So if you, wherever you want to go with that, that kind of prompt, but I'd love to hear about it. Sure. Uh, so I'll take uh, something that you said. Uh, so we do, in Big Panda, what we do is we, je- we get a lot of uh, data from our uh, customers and we try to uh, minimize the noise for them. So we do have a lot of operational databases and a lot of uh, data at scale. But then when you need to take that data and do analytics uh, after the fact, then you do need something that's a little bit different. Um, so you're now your Mongos are not going to take you that far when for wherever you need to go. Uh, and so you, when when I came into Big Panda, it was uh, over a little over a year and a half ago. And the CPO of the company said, uh, you have a background in data analysis. Can you please uh, look at the data flow in Big Panda and tell me what you think? I was two weeks in into the company. Uh, and I was sure, you know, it's a nice task. And you get to, I got to talk to a lot of people and try to explore the product itself and pr- try to explore all the databases that we have. And I came back and I said, well, you know, this is... Um, we have data, we have analytics, we have a lot of operational data, but uh, there's a lot of things that we want to uh, that we want to do in data that we cannot do in the current setup. Uh, we need a bigger platform and we need a more maintainable platform. And we need a platform that can take all of the data and we, that we can analyze later uh, for internal use cases, for some external use cases also, but mainly for internal use cases. And I think, as you said, it's very common with B2Bs. I do feel that B2C companies are very focused on data. So you need to get, you need to see everything, right? I mean, that's part of your business. If you don't know what your users are doing, then you're kind of dead and blind, um, but either dead or blind. Um, but uh, when when it comes to B2B, I do feel that a lot of times we we kind of know, like we look at the, you know, how many users, we look at Dow, we look at Mal, we look at users coming in, we're like, sure, that looks good. You know, we see data flowing in and... I do see with a lot of uh, other product managers and B2B companies that they're like, yeah, the data is definitely not where we want it to be. And so that was my perspective when I came in. Like, I, I looked at what we have. It wasn't bad. Operational database, we have databases. We have so many and so much data. But then when you want to try to analyze that, you're, you, you really couldn't. And then the company uh, said, well, we want to change our business model a little bit. And when the change that um, that we wanted to do required data, and I I said, okay, this is a really great use case to start with because we explored, you know, what would be a good use case to start? Because when you say, I'm going to build a data platform, it's a very daunting task, right? It's so big and you're not sure how you're going to start to do that. Um, so I had to choose a use case and that was a really great use case. It was needed. It was something the company wanted to do now. And it was something that we could do because we had that data in our operational databases. And to take that into analytics and, and start building our platform based on that uh, was something that was very, that we could do. So uh, that's kind of how we started. We I didn't have a team, mind you, at that time. Uh, I took it, I created a task force from people from different teams. And that's how we started. And uh, now we're already a, a department of nine. So 
which is uh, better, much better than a year and a half ago. Um, and we're not that big. Like the company is not that big. We're under 300 people. So uh, yeah, so th- that's how we started. What, one thing that you said in there that I think does come up a lot is these B2B companies aren't thinking as much data when they start. And do you think that's because, you know, B2C, you know, in most cases, you know, depending on size and things like that, but B2C, you have so much more volume. So the data really does tell you something versus when you're B2B and you've got like 15 prospects and two customers, like, yeah, the data can kind of point to things, but it's also not. And and you can get, you know, because I, I used to manage um, financial planning and, and uh, analysis for, for two different startups. And you you get a sense, even when you're at a decent scale of like, hey, we can get a sense of what this is without going really, really into deep analytics. We could just look through the the metrics and and get a sense. And then we can look through the product analytics and that's different. But, you know, or if you're, um, you know, when especially when I was at a company that was a software company, not not a SaaS, you don't have the analytics around the products. You just kind of have some customer feedback. But like, why do you think that companies are in that mode of we we don't need this from the start. Like, how would you kind of help people that are, you know, they might be going into a domain that hasn't ever thought about this, about, you know, what data they need and what they generate. So, like, how would you go and start to have that conversation with people? Um, even like maybe we could talk about it with the the, um, you know, exec level buy in where, you know, backing and being like, hey, they're saying you need to do this. So you need to do this. But also like. How do you get them to be interested in that? How do you get them to lean in? So I think you're you're totally right. I think that when you do have two or five customers, then you're like, okay, I can kind of go in even to the operational databases and look at what they're doing. Um, but you sk- when you start scaling up, I think that a lot of companies, they lose you know, the point where you kind of say, okay, I, here I really have to start collecting everything. Um, and I think it's hard to pinpoint when that time, when's the right time to do that. So sometimes, you know, sometimes it's it's okay to do that two years in. Sometimes it's okay to do it ten years in. Sometimes it's okay to do it six months in. Depends how fast you grow. Uh, I do think that it's when you decide to start actually collecting a lot of data and start um, by creating a, a huge platform. It creates a lot of. Uh, like you need a lot of resources to do that. And when you're a small company and you're just starting in and you have like two customers, the need for that is not that big. And the resources that you need are very, like very high. And you, you had an episode um, uh, with the leader of data in PayPal that I've listened to. And she said like, like that discussion of, of resources and how to make sure that people are, you know, actually using the, how, how do I decide how many resources I need? How do I decide like, that uh, the company will give me those resources. So I do think that it's it's like that discussion um, is definitely needs to take place at some point. It's just hard to decide when is the right time. And it's not that we didn't have analytics. We had analytics. It was just not, you know, the data that we collected um, with a lot of it, we didn't do a lot. And, and, and we didn't use the right platform to do that. Um, and so you couldn't really scale up. And so at at one point or another, someone had to like decide <laughs> that we're doing that. I think I was like there in the right time. 
Um, but I do feel that it's a, it's a hard decision because it does require, like I said, like we're nine people and, you know, data engineers and BI developers and, and managers for that department from the R&D side, those are not cheap resources. Uh, and it's very h- hard to get them in, right? Because data engineers are so well sought after that it's really hard to to bring them in uh, and find good ones. So I do think that um, you're right that that it's just I think it's just a matter of of time of when to decide that now is the right time to do that. Um, and yeah, I'm going to ask you a real tough question, and and it's fine Sorry. to say uh, pass on it, but. Like, what what do you think are some indicators that somebody should start to consider? Like, what what are the what were the things that you were seeing where you go, okay, now is the right time, or maybe it would have been even the right time six months before, or what what do you think are those indicators? Because I, especially why I'm asking this is again, starting to push this even relative to data mesh into the domain level, where you go, hey, line of business. You're you're kind of you need to be on top of this because even for your own stuff, but yes, for the rest of the organization too. Like you're part of a broader organization, but you also just need to be kind of on top of your you know s on top of your stuff. We'll say, but uh, <laughs> you, you need you needed to get your stuff together. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a really good question. Um, to me, the first indicator is when product managers say. Ask a question: How many X? How many ob- How many uh, data points are coming in for that? Um, and there's no answer, so you can really answer them, or you can answer them, but um, you need to really dig in and try to find that data um, in like various places, like just to answer that question. So when I did the first analysis, there was like I had a list of I think 25 questions of things that were, I could not measure at all or things that in order to measure, I needed like a day per question just to try to, a day or more per question, just to try to find the data. Um, so I do think that when you start getting to a point where you have so many questions you cannot answer about your product, that's a good point. That's a good place to start, a good time to start. Um, I do also feel, and I, I will t- we'll touch a data mesh on a point uh, in a second, um, because I think that's a really interesting point. I think that um, when R- the R&D teams that own you know, some of these objects do not know the scale of what's coming in. So like I know how many uh, events are coming into my systems, um, but R&D don't because they don't look at that and they're not aware of or they don't measure that. Uh, I know that now because I have the data in my data platform. But if R&D are not aware of what's going on, you know, they know things like operational databases. So how much comes in per second and how much can the, what is the load that the system can handle? But if you ask them a question of like, how many events are being processed every day and they don't know, then I do feel that that's, um, that's a good place to start thinking about data mesh specifically, but also about data in general, because you want them to be able to, get the data in some way or another just to try to get a sense of it. And then, you know, later on, you can kind of lean them in to or push them <laughs> to uh, start thinking about owning those data uh, elements. And so, like, when you're having that conversation, one thing that you were kind of saying is that they know some of these metrics, but a lot of times the metrics are devoid from, it's it's can the, the system handle it? Can the system handle the load instead of, 
what does this actually mean? And so, yeah. you know, we when I was uh, managing cloud cost for um, for Tenable, we were looking at like these API calls and we'd look at these various API calls. And there was one that was like, give us every single bit of data we have ever had. And, you know, there were these companies that were calling that every hour and that were relatively large customers. And it was just them being super sloppy. And so it was like, is this a, is this a sloppy API or is this our customers aren't just don't care or is it our customers don't understand and we need better documentation, we need to partner with them better. And so like that, you know, there's a difference between how important is this API based on how many calls are being used. But if it's the same, you know, if somebody were doing that every 10 minutes or something like that, then that call, that API call gets used a lot and there's a lot of volume going through it. But it's actually completely unvaluable because it's not making the person actually do do the right thing. And so, like, was that difficult when you were when you were trying to do that? Was it difficult to to have people? Because I know this happens with data people when you're like, okay, here's how you have to do like software engineering stuff, and they're like, I don't want to do that. Uh, but like software engineers, when you start to be like, hey, you have to care about like what does this actually mean for the business. Usually I've seen them care a little bit more, but like, did you find that was relatively easy? Did they just kind of go, oh, I get it now? Or was there still that back and forth? Did you have to go and rearrange their KPIs so they understood that this had to matter? Like, how did that kind of go on? So I think it ties back to uh, our decision of how we should build a platform. Um, and so we decided that it will be centralized. So there will be one team that will handle um, everything. And it's not going to be data meshy because we thought that at that point in time for the organization, they're just not ready. They're not ready to own the data. And there's no their own data. And, and there's just and there's also no platform that we could say, oh, use this because we had to like just build the very basic infrastructure. I know the infra- infrastructure is not crazy uh like we have snowflake and then we have uh we we pull from kafka uh using upsolver and then uh, we use also argo um in order to uh time everything um but and we use dbt sorry we also use dbt because we wanted to model it in a, in a way that uh that, that makes sense and but the, one of the first things that we did is to say okay we do want to think about um, democratizing the data, and I know that's a heavy topic. <laughs> but should you how how much you should democratize? Um, but we did want to democratize the data, and we said, well, one of the first things that we're going to do is we're going to create a process where you can push in like a, a PR, and then we we can approve it from the data side, and we use the same process in the data team. So someone uh, in the data team, if they want to create something, they use the exact same process. But then we're going to create this process that you can push the data in, we'll review, uh, sorry, you can push the PR in, we'll review it, and then we, we can tell you if you need to change anything. And then um, we'll just, uh, it, it will create like the, the table that you need or the view or whatever that you need. Uh, we created this process, even though we can do it in a different way, in a more sloppy way uh, without this process, but we thought it was it's a good infrastructure for when we do want to democratize the data to the team and, and make sure that they own their own. Um, and again, currently, they, they, do it, they do it a little bit, I have to say. Uh, sometimes when they want to promote something uh, from a specific R&D team, then we do 
um, support them and and they use this process, but they don't fully own it like you would in data mesh. Like they don't really own their object. And I think there are two elements here. One of them was the the R and D teams were not, I would say, were not ready, um, and there was no platform to start with. And you know, you do you did need someone to create it or facilitate it before you let them own it. Um, and then the second thing is is there are very distinct objects in the system, so it is fairly easy to say who owns what, but the objects uh, change as they flow through our different um, services. And so sometimes you may say, okay, so who's actually responsible for this data object? Is it a team that gets it? Is it the team that pushes it to the next team? Is it the team that finishes with it? Or is it everybody? And so because we're we're not really sure how to model it. Um, and, you know, changing it from the R&D perspective meant maybe changing the the way the teams are built. And we said, okay, the first, like the first priority is to get the data in, make sure that we can use whatever we need to use. And then we can teach the organization uh, how to use data, what's important in data, what, what should they consider. Um, and so that's, uh, I think that was one of the, things that we thought about when we started out. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I talk about with with data mesh is, you know, I think some people get confused when it's about decentralized data and it's like not everything gets decentralized and all, you know, like I, I, the number of times when I have someone like come to me and say like, as if it's an epiphany and they're like, data mesh doesn't mean you decentralize everything. And it's like, yeah, because otherwise you can't have central <laughs> coordination and you're like, yeah. You don't decentralize everything at microservices. It's not all of a sudden everything. But what you're talking about, centralization isn't the enemy in and of itself. It's when it's a bottleneck. And right now what you're talking about is it'd be far more of a bottleneck and it would be far less quality and it'd be far more issue if you tried to push that to them before they were ready. You, you're, you're getting them to crawl, walk, run but it's even like almost hold their head up, you know, like, and then it's like <laughs> be able to roll over under their belly and then crawl and then walk and run. And that's fine. Like maturity models matter. Maturity, like the understanding that things are going to uh, progress is so like the number of times I, I keep having people ask me or I, I sometimes people will throw some shade on somebody else and go, they're not doing data mesh. And I'm like, yeah, they are. And they're like, well, they haven't done this and this and this. And it's like, yeah, because that's not where they're going in their maturity model. They've started to go yeah. in this direction first and they understand that they need to add that maturity as they go forward. But like, it's not as if, you know, day, you know, 532 of your, your journey, you're not doing data mesh, but day 533, you are doing data mesh. You have crossed the line from being able to say you're not to you are. And so a lot of what you're talking about is this maturity of, like, I, I just wrote down, like, build the base before making changes, build, yeah. build people up, build them to a thing before going like, hey, here's what our end state looks like. So let's start making the changes towards our end state instead of going like, you know, like, if you think about um, building a building, you don't build the outside first. You build the inside, you build the, the stuff, you build the, the plumbing and the, the wiring and you build all that stuff that's in the walls. You build the yeah. stuff that's foundational 
before you start going. And so that's just what keeps ringing through. And so like, was there anything that, that you, you learned from this process? Cause it sounds like you just kind of went about it in, in a sane way, um, which is, <laughs> it's good. But was there anything that you learned that was surprising in there or any way that you were like, Hey, we tried this thing and it really didn't go how we wanted it to. And so here's something we learned kind of the, the anti-pattern side of, of what you kind of took out of this so that, that other people can maybe avoid any pitfalls that you might've run through. So I think, um, the most important thing to me is to try to be as focused as you can. Um, so really, I think it was good that I started this journey in the company as a product manager because you always think about the why, right? And and the value that this will bring. And you don't just say, it's not like a technical problem because I think sometimes R&D would go like, okay, we have, I don't know, X amount of Kafka topics. Let's just push everything to the data platform and then to, to Snowflake. And then, you know, we'll do something with them at some point. I don't think that's a good strategy. And, you know, I did hear that at some point, like people just said, let's just push everything in. It's it's not a good strategy because you really need to be mindful to what is important to you. And I, I think we didn't do everything perfect, obviously. Like there's, uh, there's always things that I think back and I'm like, oh, maybe I should have started with that use case or maybe that should have been, I should have started with that. Um, but I do feel that um, the, the, the value and the decision should be extremely mindful. Um, the decision of what you're building and why you're building it. Um, and I do think that product management, even though I'm not really building a data product per se now, I am thinking like my vision of you know where this is going is definitely a few data products. Big Panda's product in itself is a data product, but it's like it's a little bit different because it's more of a, like a real-time operational data. And I'm, I'm thinking more about analytics and like aggregate data and everything uh, around that. Um, but I do think that uh, being mindful to that and thinking about it in a product way um, and not in a technical way really helps. Like it really helps the team also because I'm able to articulate the the reason that we're doing this now. And it's not just like because I want this topic in my database or my data warehouse, um, it's, I, I actually need this because we, like executive level, need this data in order to make decisions, or even our customers need this data in order to do something. And I want to be able to even at some point create a new dashboard that has this information and I need to you know start collecting it and modeling it and curating it. Um, so I do think that to me, the most important thing is going into this um, knowing why you're building it and not just saying, I need, uh, you know, I need all the data. Sure, we need all the data, um, but but we need to remember why we're doing this. Like, what is the purpose? And how did, so when I've had that conversation, you know, again, when I was managing cloud costs, I was, you know, different perspective, but it was like, why do we have to care about costs and, and to what degree and all of that stuff? There were some people that got it, some people who just didn't care and some people who didn't get it. Right. And and so, like, how did you work with people to get them over that hump, whether it was the don't care or the don't get it? Right. Um, what was it that you you couldn't incentivize people yourself? So you had to go, you know, higher up or, you know, do something else to, to manage those incentives, and especially those people who don't understand why the information is so important. It like. 
I I I seem to have this conversation with people all the time about like why would you be doing this? Why does this matter? Why why is you know data products and all this stuff? People are like yeah, you just need to build as many data products as possible. And I'm like, what? Why? Like, what are you trying to accomplish? Are you trying to accomplish yeah. having a lot of data products? What What's that benefit versus if you have data products that matter? that people can leverage and use and want to, and there's demand and they can then combine them together. That's what drives the value. So like what drives that value? Did you find those conversations difficult or were people relatively quick to to move towards understanding that? Because that seems to be a big pushback for people is the domains don't care or the domains don't get it. So I have to say I was very lucky from the executive level. Um, from the executive level, they really got it. They knew why we needed this. They actually said, how come we didn't have this before? Um, and then when we just started building it, um, like I, I, ca- I kept getting demands of like, we need this and we need this and we need this. And you really need to pace yourself, right? Because I was working with like two people to start with, and then we had three people. And then, so you really have to um, like prioritize, like we do in product management. Um, that's ninety uh, percent of our job. <laughs> Most of the time, decide what to do. Um, and so, I, I really felt that they they're very like they're all in. They really want us to, and they give us like all the resources that we asked for. And and we try to be mindful to cost. So I I, I want to talk about that um, as well. Um, but we did get the buy in of the management from. R&D perspective, I think a lot of people understand why we need that. So when I ask them, like, you're, I need something from your team. I need a data, like a some kind of parameter from your data object or something that you're not really sending in, in Kafka. Or like, I try to explain like the reasoning of why I need this. I would say most people do understand. So most people, especially in, in like the R&D teams and the product uh, managers of those teams, they do understand because they know the value that it could bring to their customers. So I didn't get a lot of pushback. I sometimes got like technical pushbacks of we can add that, but it's very complicated to do this uh, in that way. So, you know, I had to pull in like an architect to think about what would be the best way to, to, to design this. So on one hand, we will get the data, but on the other hand, I don't want to slow down any service or any um, or anything that goes on in that uh, area. Um, and around costs, um, I think when you start out and you start pushing things in and you have some people that are new to the company uh, or sometimes people that we, we brought over uh, some people from other teams to the data platform as well. So developers, they wanted to kind of change a little bit of their mindset and and we allowed that to happen. And so you really need to uh, sometimes people do things and they're not aware of the cost that it takes. I'm not even talking about like huge queries or, or stuff like that, that we know. Uh, but sometimes like you change uh, something t- instead of uh, running every six hours, it runs every hour. And then you you see a spike of uh, of your costs and you need to change that. And then, you know, it, we go back to the business and we say, do we really need this every hour? Like, can we do this every six hours? Like, is this really important? Because people tend to say, oh, we need this real time. Like we need everything real time and we need to, or at least like, 15 minutes delay and you really don't for a lot of things like you really do need things you know 
operate on the product itself, everything that runs is real time uh, on our product. But then analytics wise, like for most things, you really need to you, you want to see the last month. You don't care uh, about what happened today for most things. So it's a, like a lot of these conversations are, are, are what takes place because I would try to be very mindful to the cost. And we try to, on the other on, on the other hand, we try to be very mindful to the business. And so I think that's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a game that we play. I think everybody plays in this business of how do you make sure you don't, like your costs are not astronomical or four times what you expected just because you added so many data points in uh, or you run it uh, like every hour instead of every six hours or every 15 minutes instead of every hour. So I think um, that's like an on- like to me, that's something that's ongoing. It's not something that goes away. It's something that you really you, you look at all the time. And I feel like every quarter, at least every quarter uh, until now, we've looked at costs and we say, OK, in this quarter, we're going to like touch this element uh, we're going to touch uh, that element and we're going to make sure that we maybe we build the table in a way that doesn't make sense. And if we just change a little bit, then the cost will go down because we overcompute uh, on it and we just need to simplify it, for example. And so I think it's something that's um, like cost is definitely something that is uh, ongoing, never ends. <laughs> For me, I think that's something that gets overlooked a lot. And when you talk about data and data as a product, products have margins. And we don't talk about that relative to data very often. And, you know, I was a cloud cost manager. And so I tried to explain to somebody there's there's cost reduction and then there's cost containment and cost prevention. And then there's cost forecasting and there's cost allocation. And those kind of four or five, because the containment and, and um, prevention are kind of in the same bucket. But, you know, there's the, what are we doing right now that we can just, that we don't have to be that, you know, that, hey, we're running it every hour. Can we run it every six? But then you start to say, okay, we're building this new thing. We understand that this could be costly. So let's actually spend the time to think about this. And let's think about what cost actually means. Because exactly what you said of, um, you know, if you had to pull somebody in and it was going to be really expensive to make this change for a lot of different things, it was going to be expensive to limiting the ability to actually uh, evolve the operational system or it was going to significantly slow down performance. Like, that's not a cost that that is direct, like, you know, AWS bill cost, but like how much of your people stop, you know, I had somebody that was like, Oh yeah, I was working with this client and uh you know this they built this thing and it was going to be 600 bucks a month to run and then you know with just some extra work we brought it down to 100 bucks a month to run. And I was like, "Well, great, but when we look at like the cost of software engineers at at my old company, it was like 200 to 250 dollars an hour fully loaded costs that we'd allocate to a software engineer. You know, especially a senior or principal software engineer, it could even be higher." And so if you saved that, you know, 600 to 100, that's 500 a month. If that took them two full days, that's an eight month payback period. And then the guy said that as well, it made it a little more complicated and made it harder to evolve. And it's like, the, you know, I mean, if it's 600,000 versus 100,000, yes. If it's 600 bucks versus 100 bucks, 
like understanding the why are we doing like what makes sense and what doesn't and that you kind of talked about this a little bit but like you, you, one thing that i try and talk to people about is what are we trying to accomplish here's my idea for what how we could accomplish that but don't take my idea as if that is correct what we're trying to accomplish is the thing that matters here's an idea i have for achieving that but if it's a stupid idea you need to tell me cuz you know better than i do but like that you have that conversation and that you don't go, I'm giving you tasks. I'm giving you outcomes that I want us to achieve together. So like, was that, it, it seems like you're saying that in general people got that, but a lot of times in my space, uh, you know, in my, my past things, people haven't gotten that. So like, did you have to have more of those conversations or? Yeah. Uh, so we have a lot of conversations over, um, I would say, accountability. Um, and I do feel that um, accountability and uh, ownership um, are, are somewhat related, but I'm not talking about like the who owns the objects themselves, but uh, more along the lines of if I see um, financial data uh, in my platform, does that mean that I'm responsible for the financial data? Does that mean that we need to make sure that we cater for the needs of the finance team. Does that mean that we, and, and you know, those are discussions that we're, we're having because I do feel that people are sometimes, um, just because someone has the data, uh, they feel that, you know, you're, you're now the owner of it and you need to make sure that the end-to-end -end flow uh, is kind of works, I would say, or the end-to-end -end flow is, um, and, you know, and we we're having the discussion now of we do need to and it's not centralization of the data, I would say. It's more of like along the lines of um, we need to make sure that people are um, owning a domain and not, not I'm not talking about R&D, like a technical domain, like people in the company that own a domain and then within that domain, um, we can like assist and help there. Um, but then, uh, we need to figure out like, what are the, uh, borders between every team and what can we do to help? And when are we interrupting? Like I, we, we do feel sometimes that, you know, we can help with everything that you need, but sometimes you don't need us because this is now business. It's not data. I mean, and it's, uh, it's something that when you don't really have the, the lines well defined. I do feel that that's some that's something that kind of uh, can get frustrating to some people. Um, and so I do think that, like to me, these are the main challenges of how to like how to uh, manage that. I would say. Yeah, I mean that's product management. That's like all of those types of things. Oh, yeah. That's like. What what are the what are the things that have clear boundaries and what doesn't? What do we do when things are ambiguous and racy matrixes and stuff like that? Where you're where you're like who's recountable or who's recountable? Who's responsible? Accountable? You know? Yeah. yeah and yeah. so, like, um, but a lot of what you're you're talking about, I think, is again that like helping people understand what the company does and, and why things are happening and just communicating 
are you finding like one of the things that I, I find that's it's not unsurprising, but it's it's frustrating is um, or it's not surprising. Sorry, <laughs> uh, but it is frustrating <laughs> is uh, that people want to focus on doing the work rather than having the, the conversations, having the communication. So how have you gotten people to understand how to have instead of machine to machine communication, you know, around data, like person to person, how are you getting them to understand that sometimes you just need to get into a room and exchange context? Because even if you write the best documentation in the world, somebody can have questions and they don't really understand this. Or I, you know, a lot of people get frustrated with me because I'm like, hey, I, I'm 98% sure you mean this, but you could also mean these other seven things. Which of these do you mean? I think you mean this because that makes the most sense. Which of these? And, you know, a lot of people are like, uh, uh, and then you have that one out of 50 where they're like, oh, yeah, no, that would have been real bad if you thought it was that. And when it's this okay. thing and it's a very, very important. So, like, how do you how are you engendering people to have those conversations more often? And that kind of if you see something, say something or like that you're you're making it so people can go. And actually exchange context, exchange information, and instead of exchange ones and zeros. So this is actually a big topic um, in, in Big Panda around communication. And we're also a global team. So we have uh, our Indian product are mostly uh, in Israel, some are in the U.S. Uh, we have most of our go-to-market in the U.S. Um, so sales and, and pre-sales, professional services. And we do have a team in the UK as well. And so just communicating in general is a problem, like with any global team, because I have a lot of folks that I work with in San Francisco. When they wake up, it's end of my day in Israel. So I have, uh, you know, you have days where you have late calls. It's not specific to you know this company, but it's like a general problem of when you work with global teams. Um, but something that we did is uh, we created uh, technical working groups. And I do, I actually have two technical working groups. One of them is for the data uh, infrastructure itself. Uh, and one of them is for analytics. So like uh, something are, that wraps data, I would say, uh, but more along the lines of what, what do we want to present out to customers? Like what kind of dashboards are important, things like that. And the first group is more of like, how do we manage the infrastructure? Um, and so that team, that group uh, includes uh, me as a product manager and actually every product manager in the company has it. Um, so it has someone from product management and then I have a sales engineer and I have uh, someone from sales, like a, an account executive. And then I have a professional services and I have a group of people that we communicate with. I also have other groups where I communicate with the leaders of uh, each one of these team and support. So when you have... A, when you have a lot of um, uh, a lot of conversations, like group conversations, that's a really good way of creating that communication. Um, on top of that, I do everything product related. So uh, every time that we release something new, then I present it to the field, to everybody in the field. We have weekly meetings where we present uh, things. Every product manager presents something, um, and so that's also I, I always say like if you have any questions, concerns, something you want to talk about data related, just like reach out Slack. And, you know, we're not that big. So like under 300 people, you can kind of still communicate very directly. 
to each other. It's not, you know, it gets harder when you reach the four digits. Uh, but until then, it's still uh, it's still possible. So it's I'm not saying it's it's perfect, and there's definitely a problem with uh, communication sometimes because you feel that it's a, as you said, um, and sometimes I don't ask about all the other things. I don't ask about um, like the other alternatives, or sometimes the other side doesn't ask about all the alternatives, um, and so I do feel that when we as we mature with time, we understand more uh, what we need to communicate and who needs to be in the room for that discussion. Because I sometimes feel that, you know, we feel uh, like in the data team, we feel that, you know, we just need someone from professional services because they talk to customers all the time and I want to get their perspective. But then, you know, a few weeks later, you realize that, oh, I actually need someone else because it really affects their team as well. And so with time, you really understand these things and, you know, how something affects either like different types of people, different personas uh, in the company. I'm not even talking about customer personas yet, <laughs> but within the company, you have so many personas and you really need that communication. And also when do you reach out to customers? I think that's really um, an important one because you sometimes think that, okay, I'll just, I'll, if you build it, they will come, right? So you ju I'll just create this and and it will happen. But no, like you really need to be very mindful. As we said before, you really need to understand why you're building it. And a lot of the times it's your external customers. So I do have a lot of internal customers, but I, I have to reach out to my external customers and understand. So it's like an internal, a lot of internal communication, a lot of external communication that we have. Um, and then I think with time, you get people to understand. Um, and and then I, I always pull in the engineers as well. So like the team leader uh, of the team is always with me in any discussion that I have, um, you know, with, with the field or with customers. Like I try to pull them in as much as I can because I do think that they need to understand why we're building this for. So they really need to be you know, not in all of the details, but at least to understand the context and understand um, the importance of what we're doing. Uh, but communication, always, you know, always important. And I feel always a challenge, and especially with data, because people feel that if they ask a question, I have to know the answer and or the data. We, we must have the answer in the data. And that's not always the case because sometimes just to answer the question, I need to like model things in a way that answers that question. So it takes time. It's not like not everything is a simple query. Sometimes it's a little deeper than that. And sometimes we need to create a new data stream in order to make sure that we have that answer. Um, so it's, it's, it, Communicating that, I think, is sometimes uh, a little challenging. It's, yeah, it's funny how how many points you also hit on in, within that. I think one of them, the big one is, it was actually a question that that I wanted to kind of wrap up on, was that that data field of dreams. Like, if you build it, data or value will come. If you build it, you know, they will, they will use it. Like, how do you think about working with people so that they either do generate the data that you think will be used, even if it's not going to be used right now, or that they start to think about, should we generate this data? And 
And, you know, like, how do you have those conversations? Because it is, it's something that I'm really struggling with a lot in Data Mesh. When I talk to people that are organizations that are trying to build out data products that aren't just specific use cases, people just aren't using them. And so, like, how do you make sure that that's kind of not where you end up falling? Like, how, how do you think about balancing those two? Because I, I think that's a good place to kind of wrap up on. Because again, it wraps through a lot of what you're saying, but it's also that cost management. It's that like thinking, it's that not doing work for the sake of doing work. It's not generating data for the sake of data, but it's also planning ahead, right? Like, hey, we, we will need this even if we don't need it right now. So let's create the mechanisms to generate the data or let's store the data in such a way where we can actually clean it up later. Or like, how do you think about kind of balancing all that? I know it's a Insanely difficult question to just give people uh, here, give give everybody the manual on exactly how to do this. But like, how are you thinking about that and having those conversations? So I think I think it goes back to uh, the value and what do I want the the product to to be able to provide to its users? And those users can be internal and they can be external. So I what I try to do when when I started out, and actually I'm still doing that, is I try to take as much uh, data, but not like the, the actual data. I'm trying to get as much feedback as I can from customers and from the uh, the teams, um, especially like sales engineers and professional services who deal with clients all the time. And you know, you keep getting some requests uh, all the time. And you see, you sometimes sort of see patterns and people say, you know, it's very hard. Like we do in Big Panda, I'll, I'll maybe explain it in a minute. Uh, we get a lot of data from our customers. And so they send in all of their alerts to Big Panda from different systems, various systems. Sometimes it's like hundreds of thousands of alerts per day. And what we do with them is we say, okay, first of all, you don't need to go to uh, 15 different uh, source systems to uh, look at all of these alerts, like send them all to, to us, to Big Panda, integrate to our product, and we'll clean it up for you and we'll we'll make sure that you only see the, the ones that you need. And so people have said to me, it's really hard to show the customers the value that we provide. So sometimes customers will send in hundreds of thousands of events per day and we will show them like 4,000. Uh, because that's actually what you need to look at because like we just took 10,000 that were the same thing and we combined them into one. And But you couldn't really show it to customers. And and I've, I kept hearing that. It was like a really big use case that people said, we know what value we bring to our customers. I cannot show it. Can you help me show it? And so I was like, sure, you know, it's a, it sounds like a dashboard. <laughs> uh, but in order to that dashboard, I needed to bring in a lot of data that I didn't have in the right way, or I didn't have at all. And that that was a process. And so people don't understand that because all the data is in the operational databases, but it's not in a way that I can take and show it to the customer, right? It's I need to pull it into a warehouse. I need to clean it up. I need to model it. I need to curate it. I need to like I need to do a lot of things in order to make sure that I can show you the a dashboard at the end of the day. Um, and so, but because this use case kept coming in and we all, I, I heard it from customers, I heard it from internal teams. And so I said, okay, sure. Like this is a great use case and let's do this. And we, and we did. 
Um, and so I try to just gather as much feedback as I can and then build from that or, or start from that. And so you're right that sometimes I do have data somewhere that I'm not really using. So I'm like, I'm ingesting it, but you know, it, it just sits uh, dusting up on uh, in some table um, and then I'm not really using it. Uh, but I do think that you need to start from what are you trying to achieve? And then that always kind of, you know, circles back to if you know where you want to get to, even if it's like a feature, not like where the data platform is going, but just like, I, this is where I want, this is what I want to show the customer. This is where I want to get to. And so if you, if you start with that, then it's really easy. I shouldn't say easy. It's easier um, to kind of go back and say, okay, in order to get here, I need to make sure that I have all of these in place and then I can provide the value that I need, I want to provide. I was just, I was laughing to myself a little bit about the, yes, I know that this is all the information, but I can't just show this to, you know, what, you can't just dump a bunch of events to them and be like, hey, see, this is, you figure it out. And it's like, that's not how human communication works. Um, but well, so we, we talked about a whole heck of a lot of things. Uh, is there anything we didn't cover that you would have liked to, or anyway, you kind of want to wrap up the episode? So I think uh, maybe going back to B2Bs and say um, it's sometimes everybody feel that they're not data oriented enough. I, I hear that all the time. Like people, especially in B2B are like, yeah, you know, I want to be more data oriented and I, I, I'm not, or th my company is not very data oriented. So the first thing that I would say is if you want to change that, then you can, because, you know, we changed it and, you know, I started this process and we did like a, a lot of work and I think we did a really good job. And, and so if you think that it's something that you need to do, just go and do it. Like no one is going to do it for you. Just say, you know, raise a flag and say, let's do this and, and go build it. Um, so that's one thing. And then the second thing is maybe don't feel as bad that you're not as data oriented because most people feel that they're not data oriented enough or the company is not data oriented enough. So it's like, yeah, uh, don't feel bad about that. That's the first thing. Like don't feel ashamed or don't, you know. Uh, blame yourself that uh, you're doing a bad job. Um, and then I do think that, as you said, uh, data and data mesh and everything around data is around maturity. And you cannot expect people to run before they crawled. So I, that really resonates with me. You really need to start you know, building it, build it in stages. And it's okay if you're in that stage where you now have infrastructure and now you're you know, teaching teams or, you know, educating people in, in your organization, you cannot expect everything to be perfect as you start out. It's definitely a journey and it, it keeps evolving because things change, technology change, um, the company changes, um, everything changes. And, and it's okay to be in that mindset of this is good for me now. It doesn't mean that it's going to be good for me in six months. doesn't mean that it's going to be good in three years. Definitely not going to be good in three years where we may need to change everything. Uh, who knows what we'll have in three years. Um, so it's just think about it as a journey. Like that's the most important thing for me. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason that the the phrasing journey has has uh, resonated so much in data mesh. And yeah, I mean, I, I think even I, I would I would push back even a little bit on one one thing you said of, is this good for now? And it's like, is this good enough 
for now. Like, yeah. it doesn't have to even be good. Nothing's ever good. Everybody's always just kind of that. Ah, I wish we were better. So does everybody. Like, that's such as life, such as being human. Exactly. It's like with everything in life. Like, you always think, you know, I uh, my hair can look better today. Or, you know, there's nothing is, is ever perfect. Um, but, but you're right. It's just a matter of... Um, is this getting me to where I want to be or or where I need to be now? If if it is, then great. And if it's not, then change it. But it's never going to be perfect. We have everything that we need. It's 100% because then we're kind of redundant, right? I mean, our work is to keep evolving and changing and making sure that uh, we bring in new things and that things are better. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, Corinne, this has been such a, a great conversation. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that would love to follow up with you. Where's kind of the best place, anything specific you'd like people following up about? Um, I would say any, I'll be happy if people can uh, follow up on LinkedIn if they have anything uh, to uh, write on. Um, uh, but that's uh, that's it. Okay. Well, and we'll drop a, a link to that in the show notes so people can easily find you. But Again, thank you so much for for spending the time here with me today. And as well, thank you, everyone out there for listening. Thank you, Scott. We'd again like to thank my guest today, Corinne Shlomo Goldenberg, Senior Product Manager of the Data Platform at Big Panda. You can find a link to her LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest, you know, what what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music. Mm-hmm.